to today's audio podcast from the Church at Bushland. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of the Church at Bushland and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at thechurchatbushland.com or download our app by searching for The Church at Bushland in your app store. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at thechurchatbushland.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so in our app or by visiting thechurchatbushland.com slash give. Well, welcome to another episode of Digging for the Truth. I am your host, and before we get any further, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to help me with something. First of all, if this show has ever ministered to you in any way, I would like for you to subscribe and give us a thumbs up, put some comments down there, and share it with a friend. We're trying to grow our audience and to just get the word out there to ever more people. Also, I want to go ahead and give a shout out to a couple of uh, people who have really supported me. Max Mass, buddy, love you, man. Appreciate your support. Uh, uh, Alethea. Tignor, I think is your last name, Goddell Hill. I just want to tell you guys, thanks for always listening, supporting me, and uh, supporting TCAB. So, tonight, we're going to be talking about something kind of, you know, more in my wheelhouse and something I like to talk about in the research, and it is end times. And uh, if you think that we are in the end times, you would be in my, uh, in my wheelhouse and also in on my side of the bus. However, there are a lot of people who don't think that we're in end times, and I just don't know how you can be there at this point. I mean, the world is absolutely crazy. So, instead of just trying to pick apart all these different things, I'm only going to take a handful of things tonight. I almost named this episode 20 uh, Signs of the uh, the End Times, but I didn't want to have to go through all 20 of them, so we're just going to dig into some of these. But we're going to begin with the first super sign that really, really, really matters in regards to setting a clock. Because every generation before us has said, well, this is the end, right? And, and we're living in end times. In fact, if you go all the way back, if you look in First Thessalonians, the, for all the five chapters, they're re- referencing you know, the end times. And in fact, the heresy came up that they were living in the tribulation. They were saying because of the, the Romans, who they were, they were living in tribulation. So Second Thessalonians was written <laughs> so to, to address that particular heresy. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that towards the end uh, to this evening. But I want to start with that first super sign that really, is, if you look across the board in all these previous generations, yes, there were signs. There's always been tribulations in this world. There's always been wars. There's always been rumors of wars. Um, think about the dark ages and the plague. Can you imagine what that would have been like? But there's, the thing was is that you were missing so many other contexts. Um, and so one thing that is now is evil is global. Um, we are now, and finally for the first time in history, we have technology and things that could bring about the mark of the beast and to manage and market that and for everybody to see um, Christ around the world in real time as he returns. I mean, there's all these things that could happen. So where did this really, I feel like, you know, one of the super signs of, of, of a clock ticking towards uh, the rapture, well, and the tribulation, it began with Israel becoming a nation in one day. So I want to start there. Uh, I'm going to bring, there's a lot of scripture I'm going to give tonight. I'm not going to show them all on the screen. I'm only going to show five on the screen. However, I am going to quote the others. Uh, So you can, if you're taking notes, uh, you can write these down and go look them up for yourself, which I highly recommend you do, because that's one thing that the Lord instructs us to do, is to dig into the Word. In Jeremiah 29, 
It says that if we seek after God with our whole heart, we'll find him. Well, there's no better way to seek after God than to get into the word. And I'll tell you, that's something that putting these programs together does for me. I love it because I do a lot of research and I find things and, and, and encounter things and pull on a thread and, and it's just, it's fun. You really begin to see the full picture. And I'll tell you what, the Bible is deep. In fact, one thing I want to talk about before we go any further is one third of the Bible. I don't know if you knew this number. One third of the Bible is roughly about 33% or so, 30 you just kind of, it's kind of varies, it's, but it's roughly about the prophecy of the end times, okay? And so one of the things that we want to talk about, if you go look at all the prophets, old prophets in the Old Testament, everybody except Jonah talks about Israel becoming a nation again and being restored. So I'm going to pull a lot from Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, 39. These are really formative chapters. We're going to spend uh, most of our time in 37, 38 tonight. And so we're going to begin here, beginning in Ezekiel 37, verse 12 says, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am Lord. When I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from the graves, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. That's a really powerful statement. I'm going to keep going here. Let's go to Ezekiel 37, beginning in verse 21. Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them a nation, one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all, and they shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. Now, this has been partially fulfilled right here. And this was partially fulfilled. The second part where it says they'll have one king and never be divided again. That's the uh, millennial reign with Jesus uh, reigning. But when we look at May 14th, 1948, uh, it was a very important and special day. And it was the day that after 1900 years, Israel became a nation again in a single day. In fact, I have some images and things I'm going to show you. But this is, this is right here. This is a very special day. Now, something that you need to understand is I go through some of these headlines and break some of these things down. Um, there, first of all, you have to remember who was president. In, in World War II. Let's look at that scripture real quick, okay? Let's go back and look at this. Says, and I will gather them from among the nations, wherever they have gone. Well, this is right right after World War II. Remember the Holocaust? Six million Jews were, were killed uh, by the Nazis. And so the, the Jews uh, around the world, I mean, they, they don't have a place. Uh, in fact, there's some other studies and research that I may give you at some point about just where all the Jews were all over the, 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 the earth before um, and how they kind of got there. And to some degree, we know. Um, but they were scattered. They didn't have a home, and they were hated. Can you imagine being displaced and treated that way? So at the end of beginning of World War II, who was our president is FDR. And I'm not this. So just before I get any further, okay, I am. This is not a political show whatsoever. However, we live in end times, and politics are very tied to the end times. All I'm going to do is just quote and show and, and present things that are pretty much sketchy and something that would line up with Antichrist thinking. Um, but FDR 
Okay, he did many good things, so I'm not going to take away from any of that. But one of the things that he had an issue with was uh, actually Jews. He was an anti-Semite. Had he been left in place, it's very likely that, that Israel would have never become a nation in a single day. I'm going to show you a, a news clipping here in just a minute. So when nation, in, uh, in 1948, May 14th, uh, we're looking at an image here of David Ben-Gurion. He was the first prime minister uh and this is the Independence Hall. I'm going to show you another image of it, a more modern one here in a minute, in Israel. And so they've just been declared a nation. Now, the first thing that happens after they're declared a nation is they have to fight for the land that has been carved out for them because the Arabs are on this land. So there's immediately going to be the Israeli-Arab war. Now, here's an interesting article. Right here, if you look at the date, San Francisco, Saturday, May 15th, so the day after, right? And it says, Tel Aviv is bombed. U.S. recognizes Jewish state. If you go down below, so who was the president that was responsible from the United States? And it was Truman. So Harrius Truman, he was responsible. He was, he was very much pro-Israel, um, very much pro-Jew. And he, if you'll see, was not very popular. So Truman action stuns closing session of U.N., Battling Jerusalem, Egypt orders invasion. Okay, and then it goes on to talk about Palestine and stuff. So, uh, at a glance, now you have to understand the term Palestine was a name given to uh, that region. So, Israel, Judah, and all of that was given by the Romans whenever in 70 AD when they burned down the temple. They wanted to erase and try to you know wipe off the entire memory of the Jews and who they were. So, when the um, uh, whenever Israel was made a nation. Great, the Great Britain was really the one that was in charge. It was actually called, I think, what uh, Palestine of Great Britain was, I think, the title of that region at the time. So there was a whole lot going on, but here's an interesting scripture that we need to remember, and this is in Zechariah. And in Zechariah, beginning in verse 12, chapter 3, it says this, And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would Heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, through all the nation, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. So I'm, I don't want to sit too much on the history of, of, uh, uh, of Israel, but it's important that you understand. I'm, I want to talk, and we're going to talk more about it here in a minute, but it, it, there's a lot of things that happened. There's a lot of wars that happened. The War of 1967, the Seven-Day War. Um, there, there was, there's just so many things that God has done to supernaturally protect uh, uh, Israel. But one of the things that you have to understand is that, just like it says in Zechariah, that it will be a heavy stone uh, around the world. Think there's no more contested land in the entire world than Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Israel, is, it's, it's, it is the most contested land in all the world. Have you ever thought about why? Because here, especially now, it's beautiful now, but if you look back in history, um, and I'm going to show you some images in a minute. I mean, it, it was just it was mostly like desert, rugged desert. And so... One of the things that you also have to pay attention to are the governments around the world and what they are saying about uh, Jerusalem. This includes our own government. We're going to talk more about America and where it stands in the area of um, the stance against or for or against Israel. But I want to read, I want to go into this article. Um, it was actually in the Jewish News Syndicate. Um, and this was actually released today, July 18th, 2023. And it says the Biden 
Biden's new anti-Israel policy. And basically, it's, I'm just going to read a part of this article. It says, last week, the Biden administration announced that it would no longer support scientific and technological research at Israeli institutions in Judea, Samaria, eastern Jerusalem, and the Golan Heights. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller declared that engaging in bilateral scientific and technological cooperation with Israel in geographic areas which came under the administration of Israel after 1967 and which remains subject to final status negotiations is inconsistent with U.S. foreign policy. It goes on. You can read through it. They try to give you know some stuff, but here's basically what it comes down to. And, and uh, the, the, the author of this article, his name is Eric Levine. And he basically says this, it is difficult to imagine a more incoherent, dangerous, and dishonest policy. It has nothing to do with advancing American interests in the Middle East or anywhere else. It is driven solely by domestic politics. President Joe Biden knows he cannot win re-election without the support of progressive wing, the progressive wing of the D Democratic Party, which is overwhelmingly anti-Israel and or anti-Semite. So, basically, the Biden administration has taken the anti-Semitic BDS movement uh, position, which is to divest and pull out of all of these interests, okay, and to turn it into government policy. Again, I'm not trying to make this a political show at all. I just want to make sure that we understand the importance of the things that we do as it relates to Israel. So, for example, there's a, a really good book. Um, I have not read all of it. I read, I'd say, about five or six chapters of it. I kind of pick, was picking and choosing but the name of the book is uh, Eye to Eye, Facing the Consequences of Dividing Israel. It's written by a man named William Koenig. Um, and basically what he does, he goes back through all the administrations in American history. And he goes even further back. But anytime any nation has ever tried to divide uh, up Israel, okay, or to take things away from Israel, bad things happen. It talks about, you know, how the moment uh, George H.W. Bush um, signed signed a, a treaty that would give take land away from uh, from Israel. There was a hurricane. It changed directions and went straight towards towards his house uh, in the Hamptons, I think is where it was, and just destroyed his house. I mean, there's tons of things like that. You need to understand that when you set yourself against Israel, you set yourself against God, and he will set himself in battle formation against you. And so, one, as individuals, we need to support Israel. Two, as a nation, we need to support Israel. Um, and that does not always happen, clearly. Well, Matthew 24. So I'm going to go ahead and, and move ahead a little bit. But in Matthew 24, um, let's see. If I, don't, I, don't know if I, I don't think I actually put this scripture in there. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. But Matthew 24 is, is mostly Jesus talking. And it is a very um, end times and tribulation related chapter. And it gives you lots of information. But one of the things it tells us is that we may not know the day nor the hour, but we will know the season. And here's what that scripture says, beginning in verse 32. Now, learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until these things take place. So how long is the generation? You know, this is a, a topic that, that comes up quite a bit, and there's a lot of different ways to interpret a generation. 
You know, one of the things that I see now that I don't necessarily like, but it's the way we break down generations. And I've, I've, I've even recently, I mean, I've, because this is a category of people, but that's really what happens with generations. Instead of saying it's my children and their children, that is a term of generations, but we also categorize a group of people. For example, millennials are from 1981 to 1996, and they were basically grouped when they were born, by the way. Um, and in, they're grouped in an era, or with, with other people who grew up with the internet. In other words, when they were basically of an age, I mean, the internet was always kind of central to, to them. So there's some people on the bubble. And also, it really changed culture for that generation. Look at Generation Z, Gen Zs. My children are Gen Zers, okay? Um, and so when we break all of this down, how long, but what does the Bible say about generations? Well, in Psalms 90, it says, the days of our lives are 70 years, as if by reason of strength, they're 80 years. So, you know, this is giving us, in fact, if you go to the Old Testament, you know, you know, it talks about the span of men being up to 120 years. I mean, it, it's so, it, but this change clearly post- post-flood for a number of reasons. Uh, that will be another podcast that we get into uh, in regards to the antediluvian period, the post-flood period, giants, and why we don't live as long as we used to. That'll be a fun one. Um, but the, the thing that we need to understand is that there's also, there's a Hebrew word called uh, tuledah, and that basically, if you go look in Genesis 2-4, it's the first reference of the word generation in the Bible. And that word tuledah is basically just means history. We're going through the generations or the history of our peoples. Well, through other looking accounts and references in the Old Testament, it says that a generation is 30 years. Basically, when it's referring to when my children, you know, I come of age and have children. So this caps off this generation, and so it's roughly 30 to 33 years. I, I think that probably a good litmus to go from uh, looking at because it says, when it says this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place, I believe that the, if we look at probably one of the more literal terms of it is, you know, um, we saw Israel formed as a nation in 1948. Now, some people will say that that sets a clock of a generation. Maybe. I, I mean, I, I, can, I can go there. And if that was the case, you look at 80 years on the outset, 2028. I mean, well, what does that mean? Is that rapture? Is that peace treaty in the beginning of tribulation? Um, so there, there's some wiggle room, but we can all agree that regardless of how you evaluate and look at the term generation, it's going to be near. It is, it is very, very near. Just one more thing I want to say. Do you realize that there's no more prophetic, uh, things that need to take place before the return of Christ? Really the last one that needed to happen was that really set things in, in, in motion was to Israel become a nation again. Because until that, then none of these other things, none of these other scriptures made, could make sense. So anyway, I think that that is very interesting and something that when you look at. Um, Jeremiah 30 and 32, they speak of restoring Israel as a nation. But I want to talk and look at specifically Ezekiel 36. Again, I did not put this one um, up on the screen, but I'm going to give it to you. It's Ezekiel 36 beginning in verse 24. And here's what it says. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. So let's stop. Think about where they're coming out of. Refugees. Some of them, I mean, think about those who lived through uh, the refugee camp, and they were rescued. Can you imagine? 
I mean, to be able to, the, the thought of getting to go and to live with other Jews who believe like you and for God to restore you both physically and you know, spiritually and emotionally and to make you clean again. I mean, these are powerful words. And when you put it in context of World War II as a backdrop, um, things really begin to kind of pop out and stick out at you here. So it goes on to say, I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness. I will call for the grain uh, and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. So he's saying, when I bring you back and put you in this land, I will make you prosperous. This is the land of milk and honey, and you are going to be prosperous. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. He is promising that you are never, God is promising the Jews that you will never have to go through the Holocaust like that again. I'm going to give you a nation. I'm going to build you up. Now, there is a tribulation coming, and there are many, many Jews that are unsaved. I mean, we'll give that for a conversation for a later day. <clears throat> but I want to show you some images that I think are quite telling. So th look at this image. So this is an image around 1950 of, uh, just of Jews living in Israel, and they're living in tents. And this scene reminded me of something that I want to share at some point. I have actually an image out in the hall out here uh, in, in my office that you, you go out the hall, you can see it, and it's actually my grandparents, my great-grandparents, actually, that lived in uh, tents as they, you know, came up a, a, and were living or building up a, a oil camp. And uh, they lived in that tent for like three years. And hot desert, cold, so it was hot in the summer, cold in the winter. Um, my grandmother, I remember whenever they got wooden floors, and when I'm not talking like, you know, fancy floors, I'm talking like not on the dirt in this canvas tent. She thought she was living uptown. So it's, it's all about perspective. But these Jews right here, they were ecstatic. They, this, think about how much better this was than, you know, internment camps. And not only that, people around you with a like mind. How many of you would raise your hand right now and say, I want to be around people with a like mind because there are so many crazy people out there right now saying things that totally contradict the, the way I believe and, and it wounds and you know, burdens your heart when you hear them speaking and living this way. Let's look at a few other images here. So this is the same era, um, about 1950-ish, 48 to 50, um, and this is actually near the Sea of Galilee. So what does it say? God told us in that scripture in Ezekiel 36 that he will multiply the grain, he'll, he will call for the grain and multiply it, and he'll bring no famine upon you. Well, think of this. Um, if you look at they converted this dry, arid place into a land of milk and honey. It was ripe. But here's a really, really interesting one I want to show you. Um, this area right here is actually called Ayalon uh, the, uh, or the, the Valley of Ayalon. It's between Latrun and Nev Shalom, uh, the, the, the lowlands there. But Ayalon uh, is really how it's spelled in the Bible. A-I-J-A-L-O-N. And you'll find it in all these different Old Testament passages. Joshua 19, Judges 12, 2 Chronicles 11, Joshua 21, 1 Samuel 14, 1 Chronicles 6, 1 Chronicles 8, Judges, 2 Chronicles, Joshua 10, and 1 Chronicles 6. But if you look at this field, I mean, go back and, and look at what it was. And then look at what it has become. And how beautiful these vineyards and just rolling hills. And remember the fruit? It talked about multiplying the fruit. And he will bring the fruit and the increase of the fields. Well, that's exactly, this is what Israel in this, these areas look like today. So God has done just what he said. 
But what does the scripture tell us about the land of Israel in the end times? Well, Ezekiel 38 and 39 have a lot to say about this. And so these are actually some I believe I, I put up here. So I'm going to bring up the scripture, and we're going to read it um, in Ezekiel 38, beginning in verse 1. And this is talking about the, the, the latter days, okay, and what's going to be going on in and around Egypt and events, wars that are going to take place. Now, the, world, uh, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophecy, sorry, prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses, and horsemen, and splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them hand, uh, handing swords, handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, the house of uh, Togarma from the far north, and all its troops, many people are with you. So let's, let's break down where some of these places are. First of all, let's, let's go back a little bit. And it's talking about Gog and Magog. So Gog is a person. Um, and this person, when you begin to look about the prince of Rosh, uh, and you're looking at Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, well, we're looking at a lot of the stand locations, but Rosh most likely is Russia. Um, or the, the whole landmass area where all these people get included is the Magog region. But Gog is an individual. Here's what's interesting um, about even like so some of the things that are going on. When it talks about Togarma, okay, well, that's probably up in the, you know, Turkey, northern, because it talks about the coming down from the north, right? All right. Um, but there's, there's also, it says in verse 5, that Ezekiel 38, beginning of verse 5, says Persia. Well, Persia is Iran. Well, what has happened um, in recent memory? So if you almost exactly a year ago, I think it was July 22nd of 2022, there was an alliance made between three of these allies. And it's actually, you have an image of it right here. So you have Vladimir Putin. Um, you have the Ayatollahs. So that's the president of the Ayatollahs there in the middle. I forget his name, Ramis or something like that. I believe is his name. And the president of Turkey, uh, which is Erdogan. And you've probably heard of his name before. Well, these three all, let's, let's talk about what they have in common right now and what's going on. So first of all, they all hate, well, it, Russia is, is selfish, I mean, they're going to take a side that'll any side and bring anybody in that could benefit them. Um, but Iran, they absolutely hate Israel. They have, ever since the Ayatollahs have taken over, what do they say? They constantly say that our goal in life is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. As we speak, they probably have nuclear weapons that are ready to be set towards. They, they, they remember if you'll remember, there was the Stuxnet virus that Stuxnet virus that um, was released a number of years back that destroyed a lot of their centrifuges. Well, I guarantee you that came from Israel. Israel will not hesitate to protect itself. So whenever that 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 region, Iran, I mean, their that their whole goal is destruction. Well, who has technology that can benefit them and has benefited them in the area of nuclear technology? Was well, Russia? What's going on in the world right now? There is a war between Russia and Ukraine. Through this alliance, okay, Iran is actually supplying Russia with armaments, including drones that they're weaponizing and, and, and using to 
uh, attack the Ukrainians. I mean, it, the whole thing is, is crazy, but let's, let's, let's look at this other thing. It talks about a hook into the jaw, because what reason would Russia want to go into Israel? Well, first of all, because of the Ukraine war, you have, uh, and, and again, as I say all this stuff, I'm not saying, you know, thus saith the Lord, okay? This is all speculation. Just looking at the world stage, then taking scripture and putting the two together and saying, do we have some common ground here? So please don't put it out there in the comments. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> this is my opinion and I research it and I think it's fairly good possibilities. Okay. But I'm not saying it's hundred percent or anything. So let's go back. So what, what does Ru uh, Russia, why would they want to invade uh, Israel at all? Well, first of all, it talks about the hook in their jaw. That hook has been set because they've made a military alliance with Iran. They're in bed together now, period. So is Turkey. So, Iran, we already know they want to wipe off Israel off the face of the map. And the next thing is, is if you look at, at Israel, they have incredible, I think, some of the, I think the largest uh, deposits and, uh, of natural gas in the world. They found some under, it's incredible, it's huge. Well, what does Russia need? They need an, uh, oil reserves. They need natural gas. They need all of these things. So the, when, when, when Iran moves, I mean, that, that, they, they don't have a choice. When Iran moves, or if they're in, in Turkey moves, and or Turkey moves, they have their hooks set in the jaws of Russia and all those around them, and they will be pulled in. So let's just talk about a few other little things that are kind of interesting. The scripture also talks about the kings of the east. Um, when the Antichrist kingdom comes, there will also be wars. So we're looking at things that are moving towards an Antichrist kingdom. This is going to happen post-tribulation, uh, sorry, a post-rapture. Um, the good news is, as I say all these things, I am so firmly a, a pre-tribulation person, and I've done a lot of research on this. It's not just that I'm an escapist. I do not want to be here for all that. I'm not going to lie. Um, but when you look at the word and you look at the world, what's holding back the Antichrist kingdom? I'm going to show you some more things here in a minute, like with the World Economic Forum and all these things. Well, it is us. It is the Christians. It is the people who are standing firm and saying no. Um, but there's going to be, there's other factions. It's just interesting to look at it. So the word tells us that there will be the kings of the east, which are most likely China and North Korea. And they are totalitarian governments, communist nations, right? They hate, and so, but they, they, they want power. They, they agree with the, 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 the ideologies of the World Economic Forum and stuff like that, but the problem is they want to be the ones in power. So when the Antichrist comes in and the one world government really begins to kind of gel, it'll be loosely held together. Um, technology will be a very significant piece of this and will be a big part of what holds it together. Um, but with that being said, uh, there will be wars with the Antichrist kingdom um, and probably the kings of the East, which would be China, North Korea, and some of those players. So it's just interesting when you start looking at it all. And we know that it's all kind of loosely held together just because of what Daniel, the book of Daniel, uh, tells us. So anyway, just kind of interesting. But there are more signs of the end times. And I, I, I went back and forth, but I wanted to take the time for you to listen to this. But this goes, this is back in 1965. This is Paul Harvey, if you remember, and that's the rest of the story. I did his voice a major injustice there. He had a cool voice. And I remember when I was young, um, and even as, when I was in college, and I, don't know, I think he married. Uh, I can't remember when he passed, but he would do that. It's, and that's the rest of the story. And it was amazing. Well, in 1965, when you listen to this, it's about three minutes long, and I'd like for you to listen to it. And he, it's prophetic, and it really lines up with, with the things that are going on today. Take a listen. 
If I were the devil. If I were the devil. If I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. The. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Isn't that powerful? I mean, I could take each one of those you know, verses almost that he, he put together and break them down from leaning on our emotions instead of reality to the level of drug abuse and, and alcoholism to, you know, the sexualization to the explicit and lured books. I mean, that, I mean, you see that giving in fact, I saw one today that made me sick. I, you know, in regards to the things they're trying to show eight year old children, you know, it's just, it's demonic. So let's read. I want to go ahead and here's one more scripture that I wanted to kind of sit on. And there are 19 things in here in regards to signs of the end time. It says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, 
Man, no kidding. Brutal, yes. Brutal. Mm. Despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into the households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. How sad is it that you can never come to the knowledge of truth? When that scripture, if you'd have read that scripture in the 1950s, it probably, I mean, it'd been like, well, women, and, and, and it's because it's talking about, because women were far more virtuous than men. And then all of a sudden, I mean, there was no distinction. I mean, women were just as uh, in the middle of sexual sin and lust as men. Um, you know, but there's, um, we've had five kids. Now, I have not personally ever experienced these feelings, but I have watched my wife experience Braxton Hicks. And that's that feeling, like, you know, you, here she is, you know, about ready to give birth. And you think, oh, no, went into labor. But, but it's these, these, these Braxton Hicks contractions. And that's what I feel like we're going on through a, on a, at a global scale right now. Um, and so when we look at the things that are going on, first of all, globalism is a common acceptance. You talk about the signs going on, major signs of the end times. Well, the common acceptance and desire even of a global government is one of those things. And now younger generations, here's that word generation again, right? Um, and in this, I'm referring really to the millennials and the Gen Zers. Saw a deal the other day, a statistic, a poll came out that uh, one-third of all Gen Zers, they believe that the federal government here in the United States should have a camera inside of everybody's home. I mean, it's incredible what they are willing to go up. Not only that, the the Gen Zers have, I think it's like 60 over, actually it might even be over 70%, don't quote me on that, but it's an incredibly high number, have a favorable view of socialism and even want to usher it in. They have no clue what they're even asking for. It's an, It's just insanity. So look at the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. I'm going to show a video of him in just a minute. Um, but just in, in what they're trying to do, they have been working on the Antichrist kingdom uh, from a biblical perspective, though they may not have necessarily thought, hey, this is the Antichrist kingdom. This is the Antichrist kingdom. This, they, the world domination, only a few in power, in control, the, to the sub subjugation of those they deem lesser than them um, and doing their bidding to own everything. Um, and so uh, our own government, though, if you don't know, I mean, is heavily involved um, in this move towards a one-world government. This goes back to, let's, let's talk about, because I've, I've already picked, and I'm going to pick on some more Democrats here in a minute. Let's pick on some Republicans. George W. Bush, his father, George, George H. Bush, he was actually caught uh, you know, on mic referring to, in the, I think in the late 90s, about a new world order, about bringing in a new world order. So this is not a new idea, you know, but I want to go ahead and let's look at a few of these. Let's look at, uh, there's one of these that says lovers of themselves. The, let's just take a few of the context out. There's 19 up there of those signs. Let's take lovers of themselves, money, unholy, unloving, and brutal. And let's just talk about this. Let's talk about abortion. You know, I don't want to make a big deal and have a whole abortion set here, but let's, this, is, this is something that came out in the news July 17th, which was yesterday. And I, I'm going to just read this to you. So um, John Kirby, he is the uh, – well, I'm just going to read the article. White House spokesman John Kirby on Tuesday argued it is a foundational sacred – sorry, sacred obligation. Think of this. He just said it's a foundational sacred obligation. What is sacred? Anything that is sacred, it's a sacrament, right? And, and that means it's religious in form. 
For Milton, so here I'm going to go on. So here I'm going to read that again. White House spokesman John Kirby on Tuesday argued it is a foundational, sacred obligation for military leaders to provide troops and their family members with access to abortion. Abortion is the sacrament. It is a it is a offering up of to to, to a demonic god of Molech of hey, give me lust, give me pleasure, give me whatever I want, and I will give you this life. I mean that that's that's what this is. When you call something a foundational, sacred obligation. That is an absolutely an incredibly demonic statement. And if you want to go and, and read the rest of this article, uh, I will pop it up on the screen here just real quick. You can see uh, it's out on Breitbart, um, July 17th. Well, actually, it's on July 18th. I think I can't let's see. Yeah, no, it did come out yesterday, July 17th. But you can go read the rest of that article yourself. It is not uh, a pick-me-up. What about, uh, you know, our, you know, vice president, Kamala Harris? She was recently caught saying this. Entrepreneurs and innovators from and in the community think about the impact on something like public health. When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, Whoops. more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. Listen to them all applaud. Did you catch what she said there? You know, behind closed doors, so one of the tenets of the World Economic Forum and a global population, sorry, a global government is to reduce population. They want to have, in fact, Yuval Harari and some of these people, I'm going to actually show a clip about Yuval in a minute, but they they go on and say all these use, useful, sorry, useless eaters, these idiots, useless idiots, and what are we going to do with them? Well, he, I mean, if we can't kill them, then we just got to drug them up and let them play video games and just pick them in a corner somewhere. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. He really says this. No, not in the clip today. Today, though, I wanted to talk about, I mean, listen to what she just said, though. What did she say? She said to reduce the population. They hate people. How do you reduce the population? Well, abortion is definitely one way to do that. But also famines. What, look at what they're doing to the farmlands and things of that nature around the world. Now, did she mean to say reduce the population right there? You know, there's all these people coming to her defense and saying reduce the pollution. That's a, a load of, what you have to realize is a Freudian slip. Behind closed doors, that's a phrase that she constantly hears. Reduce the population, reduce the population, reduce the population. And it just spurts out right there, you know, especially when you have a brain the size of hers. Anyway, let's look at Yuval Harari. This guy, he is evil as they come, and he is not stupid like our last one. But check this out right here. You cannot decide which city to bomb. You always need a human to make the decision. AI is the first technology that can make decisions by itself, even about us. Increasingly, we apply to a bank to get a loan. It's an AI making the decisions about us. So it takes power away from us. The third thing about AI that everybody needs to know, it's the first technology ever that can create new ideas. You know, the printing press, radio, television, they broadcast, they spread the ideas created by the human brain, by the human mind. They cannot create a new idea. You know, Gutenberg printed the Bible in the middle of the 15th century. The, the, the printing press printed as many copies of the Bible as Gutenberg instructed it, but it did not create a single new page. It had no ideas of its own about the Bible. Is it good? Is it bad? How to interpret this? How to interpret that? Um, AI can create new ideas, can even write a new Bible. We, you know, throughout history, religions dreamt about having a book written 
by a superhuman intelligence, by a non-human entity. Every religion claims our book, all the books of the other religions, they humans wrote them. But our book, no, 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 no. It came from some superhuman intelligence. In a few years, there might be religions that are actually correct. That just think about a religion whose holy book is written by an AI. That could be a reality in a few years. First of all, this man, if you don't know his history, who he is, he's actually a Jew. He teaches in, uh, he teaches, he's a history professor uh, in, in Israel um, at, the, at the University of Jerusalem. And he's also um, heavily, heavily involved with the World Economic Forum and creating a one world government. Uh, he is, in fact, some people call him the prophet, ironically, and everything he says lines up with a false prophet. Am I calling him and saying he is the false prophet? I am not. But I'm just saying he is a false prophet. And there are many of those there out there today. He is the one of the primary uh, and, and closest counselors to Klaus Schwab. So I'm going to show you this last clip. And the only reason I'm showing you this is to show, make you understand that before this, there was a segment um, talking about how basically Biden has been involved with the World Economic Forum when he was a senator and when he was head of all these different, you know, and he, so he's, he's been basically in, in love with Klaus Schwab and the idea of this fourth, revolu uh, you know, the fourth industrial revolution, which basically is the fourth reich we'll get on that maybe another day but watch this just so that you have you can see how embed leaders of our current government are with an antichrist kingdom organization after the other one of course we welcome you now as the vice president of the united states as someone who has shown leadership as someone who has had a privileged position to observe and to shape our global destiny. So we are very eager to hear from you. And I should maybe add one personal remark. I know, Mr. Vice President, you are sometimes called the leader or the Vice President who represents the middle of society. And just to make uh, reference to, to the book, which uh, you all have, and also to our discussion, which uh, we had um, at dinner two, two days ago, um, the fourth industrial revolution has one big challenge. It is the holding out of the middle class which is a pillar of our democracies. So without first... So did you catch that? He is, we are the enemy. The middle class is the enemy of this fourth industrial revolution. Why? Think about our history. First of all, what do you have to do? You have to, if you want to weaken a nation, you have to destroy families. Man, I tell you what, they've been there, you know, got that. How many, how many people do you see, especially now, just divorce? When you destroy the nuclear family, you begin to destroy the nation. You begin to destroy the middle class. But the thing is, is America is still the strongest middle class group of people anywhere nation anywhere on the earth and they don't know what to do with with us and he says they are the one did you catch what he said he says this is the group that's still holding on well they've got to figure out how to dismantle this group so they can implement their fourth uh, industrial revolution biden goes on to talk about creating a digital revolution and digital control digital you know everything and this so think this is back in 2016 and when he's saying all these things um, on a podcast I'm going to do soon, it's going to actually be about 
all the AI and the things that are going on with AI. I will show more. I have uh, a special guest that I'll have with me that is another, you know, just a tech and computer nerd. Um, but I, I, I know that I don't want to end on a, on a down note here. I want to end on an up note. So what do we need to do? Well, first of all, let's just be practical because in, in, on the practical things, you know, fight for your local community. You know, make sure your local community has never been more important than it is right now. Know the people and fight for the people in your local community, you know, and, and don't let this junk come into your schools. If you see it coming into the schools, go to the school boards and stand there and fight. Um, if you can and, and you have the means, the mechanisms to pull your kids out of public school and to put them in Christian schools or private schools or homeschool them, then do that. But just you need to make sure that we focus on the next generation, the practical things. Second, support a parallel economy. Um, there's all these, I don't know if you've heard this, I think it's called Public Co. I mean, I'm, I've been researching, I've been watching this, and I'm, I, I'm excited to see. It is a, they're, they're about to go public, and this company is going to be a rival to Amazon. That's their goal. But the difference is they are a conservative, patriotic company with Christian values. Okay, there, there, there's so many things happening right now to try to create a parallel economy. So while we are here, here still on this dirt ball, support these these type of, of companies and entities. You know, the ones that hate you, like Disney, Target, some of these that have these. I mean, there, there's plenty of them. Bank of America, woo, they're bad. Um, any 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 Black uh, BlackRock, anybody who's connected with the Federal Reserve, all those kind of banks, move away from them. Bank locally, uh, know your banker. Um, that's another thing to do. And then, most importantly. Trust the word of God. I'm going to read some scripture in Luke 21, beginning in verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth, distress of nations and perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when you when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads because your redemption draws near. I want to read one more thing and then we're going to wrap up. When you begin to look at, you know, the, the rapture and so forth, this is really one of those core ones. We're going to get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, beginning in, I'm, I'm going to kind of jump to verse 15. It says, For this we say that, Say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then who are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo, rapturo. Right there, caught up together with him in the clouds to meet uh, the Lord uh, with the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. I want you to know something. That word right there, something. I, if you really break down and get into the Greek, and, and I've been listening to some people who know a whole lot more than me, um, but one thing that I, I really took from it was that that word harpazo means to snatch away in the nick of time. So don't let your heart be burdened. Go tell other people about Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, today's the day that you make a decision for him. It says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your tongue and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died and God raised him from the dead, guess what? Hallelujah. Your, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you are saved. And so I just want to encourage you that if you don't know Jesus, put some, uh, let us know in the comments and, or, or if you just accepted Jesus, let us know in the comments or, or you can direct message the church or email us or call us and we would love to pray with you and to help you in your walk. Well, thank you for taking the time to watch this program. If this has blessed you, please, again, subscribe, like, share with somebody else because you know what? It takes energy to put you know, all these together. And those thumbs ups and those comments, they, they made me happy. <laughs> 
I can't wait to see y'all on the next one. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast from the Church at Bushland. We hope you will stay connected by following the ministry on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram by using the Church at Bushland. We are all about people because God is all about people. We exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference.